Welcome to the latest edition of West of Everest. I am Lee Benson. A little later than usual this week because Oklahoma football changed up their media schedule. Uh, what happened was we talked to Brent Venables, Todd Bates, Dylan Gabriel, and Kanai Walker back on Tuesday. Normally, the first day of media is Monday, but they bumped it to Tuesday. And uh, earlier today, we chatted with Bill Biedenboe, Kelvin Gilliam, and Shane Witter. Today is Thursday. Uh, and uh, as we record this podcast, we're less than 48 hours away from the spring game. Uh, Saturday, 3 o'clock. Owen Field, and uh, we're hoping for a lot of people at that game, but uh, Mother Nature may uh, have other ideas. We'll talk about that here coming up, uh, and there's a lot more to talk about this week, as it turns out. Uh, we'll look ahead to Saturday, of course. We'll tell you some of the players that we'll be curious to see in action on the field. It sounded like Brent Venables was speaking directly at Grant earlier this week, so I'll explain that later on. We'll play some sound. Also, Baker Mayfield is back in town for his Heisman statue dedication this Saturday. Uh, Lincoln Riley penned an open letter, mainly directed at Sooner Nation, I would say, and also uh, to some people in USC Nation or Trojan, whatever they would call it there. I don't know. Uh, and I'm sure there's lots of other things out there that uh, I'm not talking about or not mentioning here, but we'll probably get to it at some point today. So joining me, as always, to talk Oklahoma football is a man who would never dare pretend like he knows all that much about offensive line play. That man, of course, is Grant Benson. I feel like that's a bit of a tease for later on, huh? Oh, look, yeah, you got it right here. You're, that was a, a Bill Biedenboe, be, ah, a, a, a Bill quote from earlier. Is that today or was that, when was that? Why is it so difficult for people to remember that his last name is pronounced Biedenboe? I, I, I have no idea. I don't know where this is coming from. Uh, yeah, that's from today. Um, yeah. Here's what, I'm, yeah, like, just if you're hanging out with Bill Biedenboe, you, you better not pretend like you know what you're talking about. As much as people on the outside think they know about offensive line play, they don't. I mean, it, it's just, it's reality, and, and don't take that the wrong way. Don't take that the wrong way. He's just telling the truth, just telling the truth. And so I, that stood out to me today on Thursday because I think if you listen back to our podcast over the years, I'm very adamant. I do not pretend like I know a lot about offensive line play. So that's one of the few things where we're talking football, and I'm pretty confident, or I feel like I'm pretty confident in, in a lot of different position groups. But when it comes to offensive line play, I am in the dark a lot of the time. And so whenever he said that, I thought, okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Because also when coaches say things sometimes about a certain defense or a position or something about football in general, and they act like it's – super complicated some of the times you kind of know no it's not that complicated you're making it out to be a little more complicated than it really is but when it comes to the offensive line I really don't know anything about it aside from the dudes that are up front are usually pretty big dudes and they come into contact with people throughout the entirety of the game so uh, whatever short piece of sound doesn't mean we have to talk about it but it stood out to me today yeah I'm one of those guys like I'm, I'm I would never pretend to know any intricacies of the offensive line like, obviously, I mean, I've never played the position, never been around people playing the position. And so I know it's it's really hard. Like, for instance, I know when it comes to like the pro football focus grades, like those get kind of criticized a lot, their offensive line grades, because it's kind of hard to grade an offensive lineman if you don't know what their assignment is a lot of the time. And so, like, yeah, you could like, say that I, for I, any position on the field, too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the case. I, I feel like that's that's kind of more so for the offensive line, because there's a lot of stuff that they can do depending on what's in front of them. 
But yeah, no, I mean, I've always, like, yeah, I don't know any of the, uh, like, the intricacies of the offensive line, but I know when an offensive line is playing well and when they're not playing well. You know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. Speaking of PFF, when it comes to PFF college, we used to talk a lot about PFF college, and I used to cite some of their statistics here on this podcast years ago, and maybe even as recently as last summer. I know I've, I've used their stats whenever we've talked about the Oklahoma defensive backs, and I did my D-back rewatch. But as time has gone by, I, I have put less and less stock into PFF college. And the biggest reason why is I don't trust that it's that accurate because usually they're able to come out with these numbers pretty soon after the game is over. And my thought is there's no way you could watch that entire game, whether you're watching it live or, or going back and watching it for a second time, rewatch. And there's no way one person could watch every single player and grade every single player, every single play accurately. That's impossible. There's no way. Uh, it, so uh, I think a lot of it is is kind of BS, and they're guessing a lot of the time. Uh, maybe the quarterbacks are somewhat accurate because the quarterback is the focal point, and it's easy to watch quarterbacks every play, but there's no way you can convince me that you're really keeping track of how many snaps uh, Delarian Turner-Yell played. And that's not even a good example because he started and he played a lot of snaps, but how about a Shane Witter? There's no way you were really making sure every single snap of the ball. Oh, is, is 13 on the field? Like, is he got like, oh, he played 17. There's that would take you hours to go back and rewatch over and over and over again. So that's a big reason why I don't put a lot of stock in that. I bet they put a lot more of their resources into the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it's called pro football focus. So uh, long random uh, rant about PFF, but I've come to that conclusion, so I'm probably not going to cite PFF College a whole lot more on this podcast. Do you have any similar thoughts on PFF College? Yeah, I mean, I think they're. Um, I think you lay out some good points. I, you know, and I think they've even they've had less people working on the college stuff than they than they used to anyway. So, um, it's it's not that like that stuff is totally useless. It's just just like anything else, right? It's it's just a data point. I mean, it's just it's one of many that you can use a lot of the time. But yeah, I mean they're they're always going to come out with stuff that makes you scratch your head. I, I'm, you know, I think it's it's part of right. It's part of this obsession of that a lot of people have of putting a number next to everything, right? And sometimes that just sometimes that works really well, and sometimes that's useful. And there's other times where it just is kind of, and eh, this is here because it's content that the market has created. But is it actually useful? I'm not sure. All right, so let's talk about the spring game. And since we're talking about the offensive line a little bit, I'm just curious if you're expecting anything uh, from that group. Like, like you know, I'll, I'll start with this. I'll take that back. Uh, so today we we learned from Bill Biedenboe that uh, Andrew Rame has he's not been full go. And I, you know, I mentioned early in the spring that I saw him with a boot on at practice. You know, one of the early practices that we got a chance to go watch. And it sounds like he he's still. He's not, as far as I could tell from Biedenboe, I think he was asked, is, is Rain back to full strength? And Biedenboe said no. So I don't, I'm just guessing. He didn't say this for sure, but I would not anticipate Rain playing in the spring game. He talked about how Robert Conjul has been the guy that stepped up and played a lot of center with Rain out, and that Conjul broke his hand first week of spring ball and didn't miss a snap, didn't miss any time. And Bill Biedenboe was lauding his toughness and how he, has been able to get through this spring with a broken hand, Robert Conjul. 
Uh, and so that's kind of the big nugget of information. Maybe that's been out there and, and the other sites that have more. I mean, I, I don't know. But that's the first time I've heard that for sure. So no Andrew Rame, I'm guessing, on Saturday. Uh, Robert Conjol playing a lot of center. And a couple other names I wrote down I can get to if we get to it. But uh, So that's kind of the big offensive line news and notes from today. But other than that, or I mean, you can talk about that or anything else about the offensive line that you're looking out for on Saturday. I mean, at the offensive line, you're mostly just looking to see where people are going to be, right? Like, who is going to... And I'm sure it's not going to be... We're not going to see an offensive line probably where, like, all of the ones are out there. So I don't know if we're going to get much of an idea of, of who has the leg up right now in that in that three-horse race with you know, Anton Harrison, Wanye, and, and Savion Bird. Um, but I'm actually... I mean, I'm going to be really interested to see what positions they're playing, Um and yeah, you know, typically, right? You would just assume that that Anton is is going to be at left tackle, and the other guys would be at, at right or whatever. But with Dylan Gabriel being a lefty, I'm I'm kind of curious if if Anton Harrison would move over to the right to be on his blind side, or I, I'm kind of I you know I want to see if there's any considerations there. Um, so that's mostly what I'm going to be looking at. Um, but McIver is still right. Ian McIver is still on the roster, right? Uh, I don't think he is. Oh, is he not? Okay. So uh, like, I guess I'm not. I wouldn't know outside of Conjol who would play center, unless it's like uh, is EJ and Doma go, uh, like uh, EJ and Doma Ogar can he play center? I mean I don't know. No, I'm sorry. No, he he said today. I let me just double check that. I'm yeah. McIver McIver's no longer on the team. Good call though. Uh, sorry, I'm on the uh, I'm on the website right now. Or is it like would it be Matower? Would Matower play center? All right, no, so no, Beaton Bost went over the other guys. So Conjol, uh, Kyle Ergenbright has been playing center, and I believe Nate Anderson is the other guy that he says has been playing center. So those three guys have been uh, filling in for Rame, who has not been practicing it really this spring. So those are the three players at center. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, offensive line for me, like what I said earlier, like I'm not going to be sitting there watching technique like – and I think I think a lot of the time too, when you're actually in the stadium watching, it's it's pretty tough to get a good gauge on the offensive line outside of just successful plays. Um, it's much easier to watch how the offensive line is performing when you're watching it from that TV angle. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I, I mostly want to see where guys are playing, uh, what the rotations are. Are there any sort of like interesting combinations on the offensive line? Is there anything that we can that we can gather? Um, but yeah, you know, I I mean, Savion Bird and Wanye are probably the two guys that I'm going to be paying attention to the most, just because I want to, you know, I think those are the, you know, those are two of the three guys that are going to be locked in the most important position battle. Now on the inside of the offensive line, it it sounds like well, it doesn't sound like I mean, Bill Bedenbo said that uh, you know it's kind of hard to tell right now depth wise on the interior of the offensive line. And so it kind of told me that, you know, we know about Chris Murray, we know about McCade, Matower. I mean, those guys might be pretty much locked in as starters right now because the, on the offensive line at guard, there's just there's not as much depth as there is on the outside at tackle. And uh, so let's see, Bill Beatonbo said today that he, he feels good about where they are inside, but he doesn't feel great about where they are inside. But, you know, obviously there's plenty of time before the, uh, before the you know, fall camp. He said summer is such an important time for offensive linemen. And it'll be the first summer, obviously, with these guys dealing with Schmitty. So, uh, good luck with those. <laughs> good luck with those workouts. That'll be uh, probably not very fun. But yeah, Beatonbo did say that tackles probably a little deeper right now than the guard position and, and inside. 
Uh, so probably also you know, throw uh, throw Guyton in there too. I, I want to see I want to see if Guyton is is someone who is Tyler Guyton is is a guy who is yeah who is noticeable if if he stands out at all. He's a big dude. Yeah, I'm interested to see what he looks like as well. I mean, he could be a sneaky player that you know could be playing a lot more than maybe we anticipate. He played as a he played for TCU as a as a true freshman sparingly, but he he got on the field as a true freshman. That's that's a thing. Okay, so thinking of Saturday, we're both going to be at the game. Uh, you know, weather right now. We were talking about it before we pushed play on the podcast. Man, Mother Nature may not do us any favors. It looks like, uh, according to you know weather dot com, it says you know wind twenty five to thirty five miles an hour. You know, fifty percent chance of rain. Could be some thunderstorms. Uh, temperatures in the high seventies, low eighties. So I mean, temperature wise, it's fine. It's just the idea of it being nasty with the weather is is a bummer because i really do think i keep saying it over and over and over again that there's the ingredients are there for this to be a really crowded record-breaking attendance-wise spring game at oklahoma and a refresher the record is around fifty-two thousand, which happened in the 2018 spring game uh 2019 oklahoma had i think just short of fifty thousand, maybe a little over fifty thousand, and then 2020 2021 2020 didn't happen Last year, Oklahoma was not allowed to have as many people as possible. So I think with everything going on with Brent Venables and the way everything is with the fan base, I've the floor, you know, given, you know, all things being equal, I think the floor should be 50,000. I'm hoping for at least 60 and I'd want even more. But with the weather being an issue, uh, I'm, I'm worried about it. So, I mean, we're not going to find out until game day, but that's just kind of something out there right now that uh, is, is annoying, is annoying. I don't know if there's anything else we can talk about weather wise, but it's just it sucks. Right, yeah, you're just hoping for the best. In that sense, you can't. You, there's literally nothing you can do about it. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, it's kind of, and I, it's different. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in Guthrie, so like, I, it's, you know, not as close to Oklahoma City as, as maybe, say, Norman would be or, or anything like that. But it's weird. Like, we haven't, in Guthrie, we haven't gotten any of the rain that has happened in the last, I don't know, like, couple of weeks or so. So, like, there's been a handful of days, right, where there's been kind of some stormy, like, elements in the metro and stuff like that. And Guthrie, we haven't gotten any of that. It's been totally dry. So like there's like there's this thing in my head where it's just like this is kind of BS. This would suck where it's it's been so dry. It's like we've been just we've we've been desperate for any sort of like moisture like in this part of the state since that really bad ice storm like a month and a half ago. And it just it, it of course, of course it would wait to rain until Saturday. Of <laughs> yeah. course. Of course. Um uh, so, I mean, bad weather, I was reading today on AL.com, bad weather messed up Alabama's spring game festivities this, this past Saturday. So, apparently, it rained a bunch in the afternoon in Tuscaloosa this past Saturday. And reportedly, according to AL.com, Alabama's spring game attendance grant was only like 31000 So, I mean, that's like, obviously, like I'm sure weather played a big part in that. Um, but, you know... <laughs> Who knows how many they would have gotten if it was perfect weather? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that with Alabama being so low, we talked about A&M having in, in the 20,000s. Clemson a couple weeks ago was like 30,000, 35,000. Uh, Auburn, I saw on that AL.com article, we talked about Auburn last week. I think I said I, I'm not sure how many Auburn had, but it didn't sound like Auburn had that many. It was quoted in that story that Auburn only had about 29,000. So when I see and hear of these SEC schools 
Uh, and then, like, especially in Alabama, uh, uh, was N- Nebraska was a little bit lower than they normally get. These schools that traditionally get a good a good showing at their spring games, to me, if Oklahoma can do better and get 50, 55, 60,000, to me that means something. It means, it means actually kind of a lot because that means the interest is up and Oklahoma you know, wants to, to get to that next level. And Brent Venables has been saying over and over and over again that it's not just he and the players and the admin that are going to be responsible for that. It's going to be the fan base as well. And so if, if the fan base comes out, that'll tell me that, okay, this school might be ready to take the next step finally, at least when it comes to all the ancillary things. And so, I don't know, I'm, I'm hoping for the best, but the weather is kind of bumming me out. But we're, we're not going to find out until we get to Saturday. Um, yeah, any other comments on that? We can move on. No, we can move on. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I take your point. I, I see what you mean. I think this is. I, I think the spring game is more is more just about being football starved more than anything. Um, this is our favorite sport, and it's just nice to kind of get a little taste of it during the spring. I, you know, I'm. I just, you know, come September, I, I think it's very unlikely that we're going to remember the spring game in any sort of significant way, because um, that's typically how it goes. But I would, I would love to be proven wrong, and of course, like I want there to be a lot of people there. Hey, you know, uh, you're probably right, but we were talking about this before we push play. By last September, and heck, to some extent October, we did reference and remember the spring game a couple times because we thought, hey, remember when Caleb Williams looked a lot better than Spencer Rattler in the spring game? <laughs> and then he ended up looking better than Spencer Rattler in the actual season. So, I mean, that was a, a very unique situation, obviously, but uh, uh, just wanted to point out that it is possible that we are referencing the spring game six months later it, it has happened before as early you know, as there's last also year. there's also been spring games where walk-on running backs go for over 100 yards and multiple touchdowns and you know never never heard of ever again <laughs> so that's the most interesting thing about this spring game that i'm looking forward to is how many people show up that's my number one thing and so i'll ask you going into saturday what's your number one uh, the number one thing you're looking forward to seeing or getting out of the spring game that you're looking forward to uh, when you're going to go to the game on Saturday. Ah, oh, geez, that's actually tough. I, I, I was I was about to answer it with something just like for sure, but then I I don't know actually. I I guess I'll, I'll answer it in two ways. I'm one in terms of actual football. I want to see Dylan Gabriel throw to the receivers. That is that in terms of football wise, that is what I am most excited to watch. Um, I guess, you know, one B in terms of football thing is I, I want to see how the defense lines up. I want to see just sort of if, if we see like any special blitzes or any, probably not, not really, but just kind of, I kind of want to see how they line up, see if it's, if, if it looks materially different than the last P I probably will a little bit, but, uh, and other than that, I'm excited for Baker, excited for Baker. Um, just because I, uh, you know, I never got to see, I've never seen Baker in that stadium before ever. And like obviously, you know, would prefer to see him playing, uh, but you know, I you know, it's going to be kind of a nice little thing. And like that's it's one of those things where it's just like I you know, I very very much think that Baker Mayfield is, in a lot of ways, the most important player in the history of the program. Um, and I, I really respect that. That's stuff that I take really seriously. Um, and I'm just kind of I'm happy to be there for that. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Baker as well. And we're going to talk about Baker here coming up later in the show. Um, other than that, I'll I'll uh, th- I, let's get into the, some of the players that we're looking to watch. You mentioned Dylan Gabriel. You want to see him thrown to the receivers, and I'm with you. And maybe the reason why you were struggling to answer with that is I don't know if the weather forecast got into your head because it, we may not be able to see it really if it's 25, 35 mile an hour winds. Yeah, if they're 30 mile an hour winds, no, nobody's throwing the ball, which sucks. Which we're back to 2018 spring game with Kyler Murray and Austin Kendall or Tanner Mordecai. I think it might have been Austin Kendall, actually, still there. Uh, well, uh, yeah, Lee, because they were they were they were head to head and just and the the quarterback battle of the century at that time. Mm-hmm. Yep, indeed. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of where it. All things being equal, I'm with you. Obviously, that's a big one. G- Gabriel's rapport with the receivers individually, though. How about Theo Weiss? I mean, we haven't seen him since 2020, really. And so I'm curious to see if he looks healthy, if he looks like he can move well. He's supposed to be back to 100% health. Uh, he's very confident of that. We talked to him a few, you know, a few weeks ago, pretty early on in the spring. So what's his report with Dylan Gabriel? What does he look like out there? And obviously you throw in the other receivers as well. So, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what Theo Weiss looks like offensively. And then another offensive guy I'm curious to see is – Javante Barnes, number two, number two on the offense, running back, uh, early enrollee. We talked about it a little bit, I think, maybe the last episode or two episodes ago. The first time we were going to see him touch the football, run around out there. Uh, didn't see a whole lot of his high school tape because there wasn't a whole lot available. And he's a player with Oklahoma's situation at running back. You know, he could get a lot of opportunities if, you know, a guy like Marcus Major is, you know, continues to be what he has been at Oklahoma, which has been not available or not not you know not able to play and then if another guy like Gavin Sachuk who hasn't even got to school yet is behind so Javante Barnes is another offensive player that I'll be looking out for on Saturday what about you offensively who are you going to be looking out for uh you know I I second you with with Javante Barnes for sure um I'm kind of curious to to get a look at a couple of the freshman uh pass catchers uh, most notably, I guess all of them because they're all big. Uh, Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, and Caden Helms. I just want to see what they look like. Want to see what they look like in person. I, at this point in time, just kind of based off things that have come out of of spring, it sounds like it's it. You know, Helms and 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 Anderson are going to look physically ahead of Jaden Gibson uh, from everything that I've heard so far. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm curious about that. Uh, but other than that, I mean, how about some how about some love for the backup quarterbacks? I on this last podcast, I one of my hot takes is and like I don't think this is like a huge hot take really, is that I think Micah Bowens is probably going to be the backup quarterback this upcoming season, and um, I'm going to be watching him. I'm going to be watching him in this game because I I presume that we're going to see a decent amount of Micah Bowens in this game. And if you remember, we only saw him for like one series last last spring. Yeah, I think he might have scored a touchdown in the yeah, spring touchdown game. Yeah, touchdown run. Or, he had a nice little touchdown run where he dove for the pylon, I think. I can't, I can't remember if it was that or if it was him in, uh, in the actual regular season in the FCS game. But I think maybe uh, it was Caleb Williams playing a lot in that game uh, in garbage time when they were playing, uh, gosh, whoever that was. I can't remember. They were, I think they were purple. I can't remember who they were playing. Uh, one last guy, a, a guy we're all hoping plays well, but just I'm not sure how much we're going to learn from the spring game. But, I mean, we'll take a look. Eric Gray, you know, how, how does Jeff Levy use him in this offense? I'm not sure if we're going to get much of a look of it here in the spring game because, again, it's a spring game, but that's just another guy. Hey, like, we want to see him, see him touch the football more. 
Will he be targeted more in the passing game? Will we even get more of an idea of that in the spring game? I don't know, but just throwing his, his name out there that uh, we want him to be more utilized in the offense in 2022. And I don't know, maybe the spring game will give us some clues. Maybe it won't. I mean, last year we thought it did, and then it didn't because he, he wasn't used very much once the actual season started. Defensively, any individual players that you're really looking to, uh, to take a, you know, maybe take an extra long look at Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I, geez, I mean, there's it's a much longer list, I feel like, to be honest with you. I, it's got to it's start with Kenai Walker, right? I mean, I yeah, feel like no, that's, 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 that's actually the, the obvious that's one. That's the only guy I have. That's the only guy I have in mind because, I mean, all the other players we you know a lot about. Uh, yeah, I guess you throw in like the linebackers that I talked about uh, glowingly last episode. But, yeah, my, my number one on defense is Kenai Walker, like you. I mean, how, how could it not be? I mean, just everything that's, that, that's come out from him, it sounds like it's just he's um, just based on interviews with the players, with the staff, everything. It seems that like he's clearly one of the stars of the spring. Um, if you didn't know anything about him, if you just if you're starting with a totally blank slate and like the 2022 Sooners are totally different, how I mean, right? If you didn't know anything about the team, you would come out of spring thinking that Kenai Walker is one of the best players on the team, or at least the coaches and the players think that. So yeah, we've heard a lot about him, yeah. And he talked to us on Tuesday, and you know, he's super hungry. You know, he he said there's there's no depth chart right now, so it's that situation where everybody was on equal footing when spring ball started. And from all we've heard, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if he's – if they had to play a game today, if he would be the starter next to Woody Washington. But I, I'd probably put a little bet that maybe he would be because we've heard a lot more about Kanai Walker and Woody Washington more than any other corner. And I think you brought it up last podcast. Really hasn't been a whole lot of talk about DJ Graham. And, uh, you know, that's – maybe he's kind of – facing an uphill battle maybe he's you know and competition is good so or maybe it's just you know we're reading too far into it i don't know but so D, you know dj graham you think is is him and woody washington the main starters well maybe not maybe Kanai walker is pushing for that and so yeah I, watching the corners in general on saturday is going to be interesting it's possible yeah it's possible one of my hottest takes ever is is on life support right now for sure about dj graham being a first round pick but uh but you're right. I mean, oh that, that, that could 100% be reading too much into stuff. But also, you know, not necessarily the spring game you can take a lot away from, but a lot of the times you, you can take away a lot from what the coaches are telling you during the spring. And that was true even with the last guys too. Because remember who was, a, who was a huge theme of last spring, Lee? was Justin Broyles. Justin Broyles, yep. And into the, into the fall as well. So yeah, can I Walker? I mean, you can throw in those freshman run, uh, running backs, linebackers as well. Uh, Jaron Canick, Kobe McKenzie, uh, Kip Lewis. How about uh, um? How about what what position is Clayton Smith gonna play? I, I like. I'm yeah. kind of. Is he more of a? Because Brent Venables traditionally hasn't really had kind of like that stand up Jack linebacker traditionally in his scheme. He's he's done it like before, but not as any sort of like base scheme. Um, and then also you hear a lot, you've heard a lot of really great things about Marcus Stripling this spring too. Um, is he, last we saw of him, he was playing the Nick Benito, Jack linebacker role. Is he, is he back with his hand in the dirt now? Is he, what does he look like? Is, so, I, I mean, that's kind of what I'm looking at. I, what is, what position is, is Corey Roberson playing? What position is Isaiah Co playing? Are they, are they at the nose? Are they at the three tech? I, I mean, I, that stuff. Probably not stuff that I'll be able to pick up during the game in the stadium, 
But when we go back and rewatch it, that's something I'm going to be looking for a lot. One thing that came out today talking to Shane Witter that I think you'll find interesting and it, I found interesting is uh, he was asked about, or I think he might have brought it up and then we kind of asked more about it. Uh, he brought that cheetah position that Brent Venables is known for that, again, help me out with... Uh, Keenan uh, Clayton. Isaiah... Uh, Keenan Clayton, yeah, Keenan Isaiah Clayton, Simmons. That's that's. I what, always yeah. think to the Isaiah Simmons. That, that's just in the future. That's the first guy I'm thinking of, and then you can go to the Oklahoma guys. <laughs> uh, I, so anyway, so he was talking about that, and, and Witter was like, "Yeah, man, that position looks fun." And uh, he hasn't been a player they put there at that position. And uh, you know, he was asked who who's been playing it, and he he, he threw out uh, Justin Harrington has been playing the cheetah position. Not not necessarily. I, I don't know if he's been the main one. Uh, but I, I think Harrington and then uh, there was one other player that I think he mentioned. It might have been one of the transfer players. Uh, who's the who's the North Carolina transfer player? I think it oh, might Trey have been Morrison. him. I think I, I think Trey Morrison was the other one, but don't uh, I'm not 100 percent confident on that one. But uh, anyway, yeah, just him talking get, about the cheetah position. Couldn't get any different body types there. Yeah, Harrington so that, and so that, Trey Morrison. Yeah, that's why I'm, that's why I'm not sure if that's right. I, I may have misheard him. So. Uh, that is, but he did say Justin Harrington for sure. Uh, but he's a guy that's walked on. He's still kind of figuring things out. So it's hard to believe or hard to imagine that that Harrington's been playing that as like the starter. I, I, that's but just the, yeah, me. like that's the my opinion. the quote unquote cheetah position though is, and I mean I don't I don't want to upset any X's and O's people, but I mean it's it, it's it's essentially a nickelback. That's what it is. It's a little more, but a little more versatile. Nickel um, Sam linebacker. It's, nickel yeah, Sam it's, safety. It's kind of all of those rolled into one. The hybrid. And, I, you know, Trey Morrison played a ton of different positions at North Carolina, but the one where he stuck the most was at nickel. So I, that kind of makes sense in that regard, I guess. Um, but obviously Justin Harrington, and I said it on this podcast last week, actually, yeah. is, the, I mean, is, is the ideal body type for that position. That's exactly what they want at that. And him and Jaden Rowe, who, who's coming in in the summer. Okay, any other thoughts as far as like previewing the spring game that you just you're dying to get to before uh, we move I, on to the more. rest of the I, podcast? I got one one more player, one more player that I'm interested in, and that's Robert Spears Jennings, who was in terms of like the recruiting class was actually kind of the fastest riser of anyone else. Uh, the previous staff sort of found him um, and offered him as kind of a low three star guy. And then he sort of just shot up the boards. He had a really great senior season because uh, he was just he was playing safety for the first time his senior year. Uh, got to be kind of like a higher four-star player at Rivals. And I know he went to one of those, I think it was the Under Armour All-America game or whatever, where he was he was essentially like the best defensive back there, kind of like voted on there. I, I think he had the fastest 40 time of anyone, of any of the defensive backs there too as well. Um, so Robert Spears Jennings is a guy who's had a pretty fast rise. And um, kind of curious to see what he looks like. Is he a guy who just does he? Can you notice him? Does he stand out when he's out there? And he'll be wearing number three on defense. So Robert Spears Jennings. Okay, that's a good one. All right. So earlier this week, when Brent Venables was talking, Grant, uh, he one he like a, an emergency alarm went off during his press conference, and that delayed it by about seven minutes. It was it was it was goofy. It was dumb. Uh, but uh, he ended up having a, a decently long press conference, as Brent Venables normally does. But there was a there was a, a part where it sounded to me like you know, Brent and you know you were just having a conversation, and you asked him a question, and he was answering it. 
and so I, I decided to get that piece of audio. It's a little long. It's it's over two minutes long, but this is a podcast, and podcasts are designed for longer format. And so I'm going to play this piece of audio. Grant has not heard this yet. I don't even know if you heard Brent Venables' press conference. So this is going to be new for Grant, and I, I think you're going to understand why I I pictured Brent Venables uh, – hearing a question from Grant, and then Brent Venables answering said question. I'm relationship-driven. This program is relationship-driven. Uh, this is not a transactional program. This is about relationships. And um, so touchy-feely, uh, you know, having, you know, the fans that have your back, that have some loyalty, um, that have an appreciation. Um, that's my hope is that our fans, uh, you know, I, I get this word expectation. That's fine. Okay, but I'm really looking for appreciation. Uh, but you got to earn that. You know, we got to earn that. The coaches, the players, you got to earn appreciation. Some people, they over overlap those things together. And I don't really look at it like that. I think appreciation and expectations are two different things. And to me, that's what the fans being, being there, every seat uh, covered, every patch of grass covered, um, every ticket sold. Um, I think that shows appreciation. It's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to do it. And to me, you know, I'm looking for, for doers. I'm looking for doers in that locker room. I'm looking for doers uh, that support this program. Uh, I can promise you I'm going to be the first in line to do and not be a taker. You know, I'm looking for, for doers. And so that's what that is, you know. Um, and I want to sell that, you know, recruits and their families and our own players and their families, you know, they, they, they notice that. You know, they, they're human. You know, they pay attention. Passion comes from love. And so if you love the Sooners, man, be passionate about it. And you can't love and hate it, right? You love it. And you got to love all of it. You can't hate it and boo it, right? And you, you love it. You're passionate about it. And that's just what you have. It's, a, it's, a, it's an intimate relationship, man. I love my team no matter what. And, again, we, there's a responsibility on our side of it, man, that we're, we're committed. And in everything that we do, we represent the university the right way. Man, we chase and cover to the ball the right way. We play passionate. We play relentless. We play physical. We play violent. Um, we play for each other. And um, represent, again, the right way with class, uh, with toughness, uh, with respect. And, uh, and that's, that's what I want people to appreciate and be thankful for. So I can just imagine, uh, Grant, you're like, oh, hey, hey coach, nice to, nice to talk to you. Tell me. Why do I matter as a fan? Where do I fit in to your vision? And I feel like that would have been a version of what he would have answered for that question or, or a, a question kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that's... <laughs> You're speechless. That's, You're speechless. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's just... It's, it's, a, it's, this, it's a similar thing that he's been saying in a lot of his... I mean, he's, that, that's a... You know, that's a message that he's had and and kind of a lot of his interviews so far. Um, just sort of worded a little bit differently. I will I will have to push back on one thing he said. Uh, as a oh yeah, there's one th there, there's one thing that I that I disagree as well, and it's probably the same. You're going to say, um, go ahead. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. As a as a lifelong hardcore Cincinnati Reds fan, I can assure you that you can love and hate your team at the same time. <laughs> that is those are those are two feelings that that one can absolutely hold at the same time. Yeah, that was the the one issue I had is is no, I mean, I th I think he I don't know if he clumsily was trying to make the point, but I think he was, and maybe I'm I'm putting words in his mouth, but I kind of took part of it in in the most um, I guess the I, I'm I'm so bad with words right now, like it, trying to be friendly with it. It's almost like he was trying to make the 
the the saying that you know love and hate are very similar it's like they're the same thing so like it if, if you love something it's just like you know you feel the same way if you, if you hate something and so my thing is like but he was saying he kind of said like you know if, if you love it you can't you can't hate it or you can't boo it's like well yeah you can <laughs> like because the emotions are so strong um Maybe that's not what he was saying, but uh, so that's kind of the one thing. Is like, no, yeah, you can love, you can love a team, but also at times you can definitely hate the team if they don't do. I mean, there's many a time in the last five years where we've been very annoyed with Oklahoma football. I don't know if I'd say I'd, I've hated it, but uh, you know, frustrated, yeah, disappointed. But all you know, but also right, like I'm not. We're we're being we're being a little too ticky tack here about I. Everyone understood his point. Like he wasn't. I yeah. don't think he was so uh, there was like for, and like I've said I said this last you know last fall when we went through the whole Spencer Rattler getting booed stuff I'm not a boo guy like I'm never unless unless you have a striped shirt on you will not get <laughs> boos from me like any in any athletic event really ever so like and in that regard I, I, I see where Brent Venables is coming from too except I don't think he was being as black and white of it you know about it as it came out of his mouth. All right, so you talked about Baker Mayfield earlier. You, I think you said, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you said he, did you say he's the most important, one of the most important players in the program I think he's, history? I think, he's arguably, I think he's arguably the most important player in the history of the program. And I know you've made this point before on the podcast, but if we have some listeners that are new, do you want to kind of restate kind of what you mean by that? Because you know, he's back this week, and I have some thoughts on Baker as well. And he's going through a tough time right now, it's, it's, you know, career-wise. Uh, and so, I mean, he's going to have a, a great time this weekend, and I'm sure he's going to be excited to be back around a lot of people that love him and a lot of fans that adore him and appreciate him. And so what do you mean by that? He's arguably one of the most important players. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm far from the first person to make this point. And actually, um, uh, Eddie Radosevich that on the Sooner Scoop podcast that dropped yesterday actually did a really good job of kind of uh, laying this out and explaining it. Um, Baker Mayfield is is living every OU fan's dream. Baker Mayfield has always, always felt like an OU fan that is playing quarterback. And that was a point that Eddie made yesterday that I thought I thought was 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 stated just really plainly and really well, actually. Because that's that is the appeal. It is very easy to project your own life onto Baker Mayfield. It's really, really easy. Um, just because he is a guy who he grew up an OU fan. How many times you ever seen like how many times over the course of his career did you see that they always showed that picture of him in like elementary school or whatever he's wearing the OU shirt and it's like it's it's Baker it's it's Baker like little ten year old Baker and it's him well, and he's I, wearing that Oklahoma I, shirt and it's, I didn't see that picture as much as I saw the Sam Ellinger picture of him doing the the hook'em horns. I think I saw that picture at, at least a million times if if not more like that picture is seared into my brain but uh, anyways point taken uh but just his journey to get there is really it's just it's awesome it's delicious it is it's one of the best if you're an OU fan it's just it's one of the it's one of the best sports stories ever he starts at Texas Tech because Oklahoma didn't want him he had to walk on there because a lot of people didn't really want him he was the Big Twelve uh, offensive freshman offensive player well, of the year. Hold on, to be fair, he he did have some scholarship offers. He did have some scholarship offers. You know what he I mean? Could have taken a scholarship somewhere. This yeah. is a, th- this was a guy who eventually won the Heisman Trophy and had just like a a, a couple of Division one offers for scholarships. He had like two or three. So Let's see, Washington State. I think he said maybe 
one of the military academies. He actually talked about it on, his, on that podcast that everyone was talking about last week. Uh, it was Washington State, the mil- some military academy. I can't remember if it was Army or if it was Navy. I was one of those, I believe. And um, anyways, yeah, I sorry, sorry. I just wanted to. And I'm forgetting one or two. Uh, may, I can't. I, I should have wrote that down. People know this that are listening and thinking, oh, come on. You should know this. Sorry, I, I don't remember. Anyways, you, I interrupted you. Sorry, go ahead. Sure. And then he just uh, he he walks on to OU. He just shows up. He didn't. And Bob Stoops has told this story. He just didn't tell. He didn't tell anybody. He just showed up. And I think he was just he was at one of the team meetings. He just he's like, hey, I'm Baker. Um, and then uh, by the time he he finally started a game in 2015, OU was coming off. Uh, I mean, I think I can. I think what objectively can say now was was the worst season that Bob Stoops had at Oklahoma. Um, and at a time where until Lincoln Riley left in, in November, December, or whatever, whenever it was, that was the most uncertain time in, in OU football since the 90s. Um, they were coming back in 2014. Uh, or 2014, Trevor Knight did not build on, on that amazing Sugar Bowl performance. In fact, he was outright bad a lot of the time over, over the course of that season. Um, the defense had started to take a huge step back, kind of started to to morph into the defense that we saw at the end of Mike Stoops' tenure. Um, there was just a lot that had started to go wrong. OU wasn't recruiting as well at that time. It, it started, there had been whispers that Bob was sort of checked out, wasn't doing as well. And Baker Mayfield came in and completely breathed life into the program entirely as soon as he took over. And, and I know like, uh, you know, that, that Tennessee game in Knoxville is kind of was kind of the inflection point. Um, and also Lincoln from, Riley. Lincoln Riley came in same time or yeah, I, yeah. almost. I mean, r- around the same time. And that's fair. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, we of, of course, Lincoln Riley is a, is a massive, huge part of that as well. Um, but then just watching Baker Mayfield, he started every single game for the next three seasons. And I think people. Oh, except for one. <laughs> yeah. OK, yeah. Fair enough. And it's easy to forget. I think it's easy to forget. It's so easy to forget, removed from it, of just how insanely good and dominant that he was on a play-by-play basis. Um, Pretty much at every time. He was just... I don't know. He's he's a guy who has just... He has completely changed... It's it's flipped, like, my personal preferences just totally on their head. Like, I'm a... In terms of just, like, disposition and what a quarterback should be, I'm a Kyler guy. I love Kyler being quiet and just sort of going about his business on the field, not really saying much, and then just kind of kicking your butt. Deleting type pictures of, from your social media account to get attention, you know, that 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 kind of guy, you know. That's <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you kind of had to hijack this. No, I'm definitely not. If you want to talk about that, we can. I think that stuff's stupid, but no. Um, no, I'm just I'm 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 being a jerk. Yeah. What do you, I I love Baker Mayfield. I love Baker Mayfield. I've never I've never come across anyone who is more who I just feel like I get more than him. He is just so like I totally understand the whole like if if he's not if he's not on your team you probably hate his guts because he's so fiery and he's good. He he's he, he was so good in college. I mean just so good. He he would he would rip out people's hearts consistently, constantly. And when he was doing that on behalf of your team, it's amazing. It's ama- that's what makes sports fun. And he did that he did it constantly. Every game, every game. Yeah, and and that's why it was so frustrating that 
the offense went into a shell and he didn't he couldn't individually pick them up and push them over the top in that Rose Bowl against Georgia. And that's why it was just it was, anyways. But uh, OK, so I, I looked it up real quick. So uh, five scholarship offers. He talked about th- about this on that podcast last week. Uh, New Mexico. The Surface Academy was Army. Washington State. Uh, Rice. Uh, he actually said he got uh, offered to play baseball and football at Rice. And then the last one was FAU. Uh, and so he, he, I think he's on the podcast. He said he almost, yeah, he said he almost went to FAU just because it's Boca Raton. Uh, but then he ended up betting on himself and walking out at Texas Tech. I'm, and I'm, I'm gonna guess he didn't say this in the podcast. I don't think, and this has probably been out there because this is old news. But he had to have gone to Texas Tech probably because of uh, Cliff's King, you know, Kingsbury was there. But he also probably thought I can win this starting job, and he did. You know, he won the starting job uh, as opposed to like, oh, I'm going to go to Oklahoma and try to win the job there because at the time it was Trevor Knight, right? So uh, Trevor Knight and – well, So right? actually at the time, no, that's actually kind of the funny thing. No, Blake is Bell. That, yeah, it was – so that would have been 2013. He sat out 2014. And so, yeah, it was there was a, there was a quarterback battle between Blake Bell and so, Trevor yeah. Knight in 2013. And that's kind of one of the ironies, right, is that – I think, right, it's not crazy to think that if Baker just would have walked on to OU, he probably could have won that job. I, I don't, <laughs> I doubt, I doubt he would have gotten the chance to win it, to be honest with you, because I think there was some stuff in the tech, I think injuries played a part in him getting the Texas Tech job too. So I think that that was part of it. But yeah, it's easy in retrospect now to say, it's like, yeah, of course Baker is better than Trevor Knight and Blake Bell. But I don't know, but yeah. you know, if 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 he would have done that, though, we we uh, we wouldn't have gotten the 2017 season. What was which was so special? Yeah, it was. I, I mean, I can't believe it's been almost five years since that year. I mean, coming up this fall, so I I love Baker too. I've I've cooled on him, unfortunately, in the last couple of years. My infatuation with him as a football player has decreased, and I think that's really sad. It really, it, I I hate that that's happened. Um, I, it's just because he just, he doesn't look like the same player, you know, his rookie year with the Browns, that looked like Baker Mayfield for the most part. Uh, and he broke the touchdown record that's now since been broken, I believe by Justin Herbert. Uh, and then the year, his second year, it was, it was not good, you know, and that is his sophomore, the classic sophomore slump. And then, you know, year three in 2020 with Kevin Stefanski, it was more, more like Baker as far as success goes, but he did not. I mean, the offense was just so drastically different than what he ran at Oklahoma and even the first two years in Cleveland. So he's just slowly just kind of got, got away from what he looked like in college. And I get it. Not everybody looks the same as they looked in college in the NFL. That's kind of the point. You know, what can you do? But I think that's a big reason why, and not to mention, uh, you know, recently you know, it's comments here and there, just his his – Lack of awareness in some things kind of bothered me. I, I always kind of thought he was a little more a little more sharp than maybe he really is. Uh, for example, an easy one is, I mean, I listened to that entire podcast that he was on recently, and I thought it was, for the most part, it was fine. Uh, but just the, the one quote that was getting a lot of people been out of shape, and I think rightfully so, was when he talked about how, you know, and it was kind of just like a quick aside in the podcast, but he brought it up. He said, man, I, you know, I, like, how would people feel like if, if I went to their office and booed them, you know? And I, so, like, he did bring it up, and I know people kind of shook it off. Some people that are apologizing for, him, like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. He's got a point. And my thing is, like, no, he doesn't have a point. Doesn't. And th- that, he doesn't have a point. It's a, it's a, that's a stupid thing to say. 
and, and that's there's like, zero intelligence we were, in that comment whatsoever. Right. And we talked about this a couple of days ago. What bothers me so much about that, and I think maybe you to some extent, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, is that to what you said a little bit ago, Baker Mayfield, and kind of to Eddie's point, he's like if an OU fan played college football, played at OU. And that's a big thing about Baker Mayfield. He, he talked about all the time about how he was a fan growing up. And uh, in that podcast, he talked about how he'd play like NCAA football and stuff. Uh, and uh, maybe he said that some other time. Maybe it wasn't. A, maybe it was a different video game in the podcast. But he's like a lot of us. He grew up playing the NCAA football video game and watching college football on TV. And he's more of a college football guy than an NFL guy. And so in my mind, I, you know, I guess maybe if he's not an NFL guy as much as a college guy, maybe this is a big reason why he kind of felt the need to say that. But in my mind, as a fan, as somebody that's been around it, and you understand what it's like to be a fan, you should kind of understand the idea of. Uh, no, like when you're a pro athlete, like, yeah, we get it. Like you don't want to be booed or you don't want people to disrespect you or like make fun of you on Twitter. But also that kind of comes along with the job. You get handsomely rewarded. And part of the job is that there's jerks and there's losers out there that might boo you or you know might yell at you during the game or say something mean to you on social media. That's part of the gig. So what? Deal with it. Uh, when you're some guy in an office cubicle, you're not a famous person. You're not getting paid millions of dollars. Uh, it doesn't make any sense why somebody would start booing you at your job because that's not part of the gig. Uh, if part of working in an office, you got paid millions of dollars and it was a public job where you were on TV all of the time and it was expected that you would have to perform in a public setting, then yeah, that would be part of it. People might boo you. But it's apples to oranges, man. And, and my thing is that somebody that's a fan of the game, like Baker, it's disappointing that he didn't, he didn't quite, he doesn't get that. And maybe it was just an emotional thing and he just was emotional about it and he said it and maybe he thinks it's dumb. I don't know. And it, it, it also was annoying to me to hear him say that because later in the podcast, he talks about how he got off social media kind of recently and it, it took him for his people uh, you know, around him to, to tell, hey, get off of this stuff. Like it's not good for you. And he's kind of learned that paying attention to all that stuff is not good for you and listening to the, you know, the, the first takes of the world and all the opinion shows. And he, he got away from that and realized that it doesn't matter. And so my thing was like, dude, okay, you've obviously understood that. But 30 minutes ago, you said this thing about how, what if a guy went to, you know, your office and booed you. So part of me still thinks that you still think it does kind of matter. So you've, you've grown a little bit, but also not as much as I would have liked you to. And so I guess that's my standard for him was so high. And when I hear him say stuff like that, I kind of go, Ugh. You're, you're, still, you're still learning, man. You're still trying to get it. Uh, and, and, and it's just until you kind of figure out what makes, what's the most important and what you need to focus on, you're probably not going to get to where you want to go. But I, still, I, I think that he has a chance to get there still. Uh, and, and this is a, a, such an important time in his life. Where does he go from here? You know, does, he, does he figure it out, get back on the field, get healthy? Because I think injuries and hubris – have kind of knocked him off his perch. Does he realize that and get to the point where he realizes, I still have a lot more good football left to play? Because I think he does if he finds the right mindset and goes to the right spot and stays healthy. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. I, um, I, in my mind, I, 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 still, I still love Baker. My, my love for him has not waned a little bit. For me, that's... There's there's two guys on on my Mount Rushmore of favorite athletes, and it's it's Baker and Peyton Manning, and there's those there is just no one anywhere close to those guys as far as I'm concerned, in in my heart and my brain, 
in my mind. Um, the thing, you know, the thing that bothers me the most about Baker lately is just I, you know, I don't, and obviously I'm still rooting for him. I want him to turn his career around. Uh, I've just been around, you know, long enough now to know that when stuff like this goes on, his 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 career as a or his potential as a as an elite quarterback in the NFL is is over in all likelihood. It's not going to happen. Um, and I'm not and I, like I realize that there's a chance that he could turn it all around. Uh, there's just Drew Brees um, is the only person I at this point in time who has ever turned it around to that degree. Um, and I just I, I history is not is not on his side at this point in time. Um, I think the best thing that Baker Mayfield could do is at this point in time is is swallow the bitter pill, take the medicine, and back up Deshaun Watson this year. I think that's I think that's no no. I, here's the thing. I think he there's one more year left to to make the the kind of claim that you're making right now because in any other situation any other year of NFL football right now Baker Mayfield would be going into his contract year it is still with with at least one year left to prove that he can earn another contract with his the team that drafted him it's just this situation is so unique with Deshaun Watson a guy like that comes available at this time and the Browns are willing to take that kind of risk with him I so a little bit of bad luck, I think, is factoring into this because normally a guy like Deshaun Watson is not just available for a team like the Browns who who they like their quarterback, but hey, we can potentially upgrade. And this team that he's on is actually cool with letting him go, obviously because of lots of other I think off the field situations. I think it's very clear that the Browns do not like Baker Mayfield. Well, my point is if Deshaun Watson was not available, they like him enough to where, yeah, we're going into this next year with him. Let's see what can happen. And it'd be up to Baker to... You know, to prove it, to prove that he's worth whatever he wants to get paid for this next year. So he's going to have that opportunity somewhere else. The question is, will he get that? And that's where it's tough with the financial situation is that teams aren't going to want to you know, pay him the kind of money right now. Right. And then I guess risk in a way paying him a lot of money here. And then if he plays so well, then they got to pay him again or even more. I, I, I think that factors into it a lot. Um, but I'm, I, I'm actually I, I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty steadfast on this. I, I think it's, and of course, like the draft still has to play out. And like, yeah, I mean, if he's, if he gets traded and he can be a starter somewhere else, then I guess, yeah, obviously that's preferable to to backing up to Sean Watson. But also though, I don't know. I think backing up to Sean Watson is probably a better idea than being the starter in Seattle. Well, it depends on, uh, it depends on where the relationship is right now with the Browns and Baker. Like if, if those bridges have been totally burned, then even if he, I just think there's no going back. I mean, maybe maybe they're still cool in some certain ways, but maybe not. Maybe it's over, and there's just yeah. yeah. And and this and this is where the emotion side of it comes out because I'm just like I, um, and maybe maybe this is just me, just emotionally. I I just I desperately do not want him in Seattle. Um, I think the Kevin Stefanski offense and uh, you know the Browns have run is just is is has basically forced Baker to play left-handed. Um, it just doesn't. It doesn't leverage his skill and his his abilities really that well at all. Um, and Seattle is going to be worse. It's going to be way worse. I, I I just I don't. That I mean that's that's a, that's an organization that just traded Russell Wilson because they're not interested in throwing forward passes. I don't know if that's all of it. I mean, didn't doesn't Russ want a bunch of money? And I'm sure there's finances there too. Uh, no, I mean from I, what I understand, Russ wanted out because they would not. They they would not get with it. They would not get with the 21st century. Oh yeah, that's no, a, that's, I'm, I'm not going to defend Seattle. I, 
And yeah, I guess yeah, if, if, if he goes to Seattle, bad. in my mind, his career's over if he goes to Seattle. Because he will be awful, and he's, it's, it, he's not going to be able to get a job ever again. Well, I hope, yeah, I hope, hope that's not the case. Uh, but, you know, in the NFL, more so than a lot of other sports, I mean, where you go can have such a gigantic impact on your entire career. And, you know, that's, that's just why football is. And, yeah, and uh, Drew Brees does not turn into a Hall of Famer if he does not go to New Orleans and Sean Payton. If he, if he does not fail that physical with the Miami Dolphins when, when Saban was there and he ends, up, he ends up going there and not to New Orleans, I, and, of course, like, you know, we, we'll never know, but I, I don't know if he, he's in the Hall of Fame if, he goes, if he's with Saban and not with Sean Payton. So best-case scenario, and we'll end with this because we actually got to get, get moving here quick. We got one more topic to hit on. Best-case scenario is that the injuries last year, the, his, his shoulder thing, was as bad as – as it probably was and he talked about the injuries i mean he said that he could barely lift his arm and he just tried to gut through it and you know i think some people said this at the time like in hindsight definitely like he probably should have just taken some time off and just got healthy and not played but i mean he's a guy he's, he's a tough guy he wanted to play you know that's just kind of the way he's built so hopefully him getting back to full health that's kind of what gets him you know and obviously if the new place he goes is good like that all comes together and we see better baker you got one more thing to add? And also, the Browns are a joke of an organization, too. They don't know what the hell they're doing. That's the thing, man. I don't think he gets enough credit. People, people already, already forgot that he came in and... Or I mean, it's, it's very clear that, that their ownership is a total clown show. I mean, that is, that's very clear. Um, just, just, just with how they handled this whole situation... And even like, I mean, obviously, like Deshaun Watson is an upgrade over Baker Mayfield in terms of what you're getting on the field, obviously. But just to go into that, just like head first and just kind of YOLOing it into that and not even really, <laughs> and not even like communicating with Baker very well, that's a lot of evidence right there for people at the top not knowing what, what's going on or what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, depending on who you talk to, depending on what your thoughts are, how much you believe in, there's a, I don't know. Like obviously the Sean Watson thing, there's it's whatever, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. It's going to be handled off the field. Uh, no matter what you say, I mean, like if anything, like what we knew about Deshaun Watson before all this came out is definitely changed. Like he was like this guy that had like, nothing against him. And now it's kind of like you hear Deshaun Watson and people are like, yeah, you know, like whether that's right or wrong, you know, like whatever, like I, t- technically he's been charged with all these things, but he hasn't been convicted of anything, you know, I'm a big legal guy. I'm a big fan of, you know, like let the legal system play out. Point being, though, is that your whole YOLO thing, YOLO thing with the Browns, like, yes, he's a better player than Baker Mayfield, definitely, in the most important position on the field. But there's definitely some potential for the Browns, like kind of karmically, this t- kind of backfiring on them big time uh, with just kind of, and maybe for as Baker good as comes out Watson was, good. For as good as Deshaun Watson was, he's, I mean, the Texans have been bad while he's been there. At very yeah, his structures. last year that everyone was his last year playing and I guess 2020 where everyone was saying he had like a career season I think they were four and 12 the Texans were straight up terrible that season so I and yeah like I, I mean it's just it's a whole it's an interest it's it's clearly interesting but I, remember, I was like a couple weeks ago remember when I was just like ah we're about to just we're about to embark on just the the greatest era of being an OU fan ever because what's going to happen right is is Venable's going to win a ton, a ton of titles at OU. He's going to turn into the... It's, <laughs> OU's about to have a Saban-Alabama-like run. Lincoln Riley's only going to last three years at USC, and he's going to get fired, or he's going to take a job in the NFL because it hasn't gone very well. 
And then yeah. here's I'm going to add a little something to this now too. Baker is going to land on his feet somewhere else with the next Sean Payton, and he's going to have a Drew Brees-like resurrection, and the Deshaun Watson thing in Cleveland is going to absolutely blow up in their face. Everyone is going to get fired. Everything is going to get cleaned house in Cleveland, and they will be back to being a one or zero loss team perpetually in the next three or four years. That's what's going to happen. Lock it up. Put it in the bank. I love it. Love it. All right, we have about eh, five, seven minutes left because I have a, a thing I got to get going to. I want to just mention real quick, Justin, I saw your comment on the West of Everest Facebook page about PFFs, way too early top 25. Not going to hit on that today. Maybe we can hit on that next time. Uh, but I just want to let you know that I did see it, and I appreciate you sending us that uh, Lincoln Riley slash USC uh, you know, content. Uh, lastly, uh, most of you probably saw Lincoln Riley wrote that letter. Uh, in the Players Tribune, so I figure we gotta just bring it up. I quickly, I, I suppose I look at it this way: I, it's strange that he chose to do this now. I mean, almost five months have gone by. I mean, it's kind of it's over. I mean, okay, but he he did it, and it's it's obvious that he feels bad about the way he left Oklahoma. He said that he felt some guilt, some sadness, you know, once he left and realized, oh. I'm not at OU anymore. I'm not in Norman anymore. So he felt bad about it, and he felt bad about the way that he went about things, and he said that if he could do things over again, he would, he would change the way he left. And he talked about how he talked to the players. He wishes he would have been able to sit down and talk with everybody individually and explain to them. Okay, fine. Okay. Yeah, I get it. And things are moving a million miles an hour. He did what he had to do. Fine. Okay. That's all great and good. I just don't know what OU fan or player or anybody reading that letter – is anybody going to come away from from a thinking? Oh, okay, you know what? We're cool. We're cool now. We're good. Uh, and I I say there's no way that's possible because in the middle of the letter, he still, as much as he's trying to open up and own it, as he said, I, I I own that. He's still being, and this is my opinion. If you read the tea leaves, he's still being purposefully vague about how he left Oklahoma for USC. <laughs> He, he wants us to all kind of put out there, he's put out there that he wants us to believe that this all happened in a span of 12 to 24 hours, and he said that before. After the Bedlam game, and then the next day, he got a call, and then, oh my gosh, I'm calling Joe Castiglione. And if you read the story, he talks about how he got a call from his agent, and the possibilities of USC intrigued him, and then smash cut to everything that happened after that was a blur. I was on the Zoom with USC. I, I called Joe Castiglione. Then I was meeting with the players. So, like, there's a lot of ambiguity there about, okay, when did you get that call from your agent? And I think that was written purposefully like that f for the vagueness because there's just no way based off of – basing it off of the LA Times article from November that said sources told them that Lincoln Riley's representation had been in contact with USC as early as September after Clay Helton was fired. And so you have to ask yourself, and I'm, I'm a journalist, you know, so I, this is also an opinion podcast, but at the same time, I want to present this as fair as possible. You have to ask yourself, one, do you trust the LA Times reporting? I do. I trust the LA Times reporting. This is sports. They have good sources, and the LA Times, I would imagine, has some good hardcore sources within the USC program and boosters. So do you trust that sourcing? I do. So if that's true, which I believe it is true, is it reasonable to believe that Lincoln Riley's agent or his representation, whoever that was, was talking to USC since September. But the first time that 
a call was made to Lincoln Riley was after the Bedlam game. And you have to ask yourself, is that reasonable to believe? I say it's not reasonable to believe. That's my opinion. But it also gives Lincoln Riley plausible deniability because there's no smoking gun that his agent called him on September 21st or something. It was like, hey, man, Lincoln, Link, USC's interested. There's, there's no evidence of that. There's just sources saying that his representation was there. And I think that's, I just want to make that very clear. But I, at the same time, as a human being, it's hard to believe that a person would get a phone call like that and 12 to 24 hours later make a decision that big. It just doesn't seem likely. It doesn't seem reasonable. So that's where I'm at. And, and because of that, it's, it's going to be hard for Oklahoma fans and people like me who I read that and think, okay, yeah, but you're still kind of not being fully upfront with everything there, in my opinion, Lincoln. So that's kind of where I stand. Where do you stand? Well, I mean, what, I mean the Players' Tribune op-ed or whatever you want to call it, it didn't, it didn't say much. It didn't, it didn't say anything that we already didn't know, that he, that he hasn't already said. Um, it may come as a surprise to people who listen to this around the time that this happened, but in terms of like how, like how it happened and how I've moved on. I mean, I'm, I'm, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me as much as it did three or four months ago with like how it happened. Um, I'm, I'm still bitter about the 2021 season being really disappointing. I'm, I'm really bitter about that. That's probably what I'm most upset about. Um, but the, the, the op-ed, all it did was just confirm to me what I knew the day that the news broke that he was leaving is that he's just not that into you. He, we, he broke up with OU. He broke up with OU. It's, I mean, that's, this is, that's exactly what, what he says in that article. I mean, that's exactly what you tell someone when you still respect them. You don't want to crush their heart, but you don't like them anymore and you want to break up and you want to go be with someone else. That's exactly how you, how you do it. Well, it's, it's a good, it, it's a good, call but we're not that into somebody though you don't tell them to their face though that i'm just not that into you though right like the subtext of he's it. he's not saying that there he's doing it he's that's not what he's doing there remember he brought up all of this i oh, remember all the great times we had together but see but like it, it'd almost be better though if somebody just said i'm just not that into you because that's honest if he would and i think and again this is it i don't care that much either but i think it's just worth pointing out just come out and maybe he can't do this because i don't know maybe legally or maybe there's just rules i don't understand just come out and say listen uh, yeah like if he just came out and said i'm just not that into you and just be honest about it a lot more people would just be like oh, all right whatever like there's always going to be the people there that are going to dog him but that. at least he's honest of, about it there's a lot of ou fans that would take greater offense to that um well but people already know it so at least at least be honest about it and that's my take. I guess that's definitely my take. Where it's just like, I know what you're doing, man. Just say it to my face. I'd respect you a lot more. Exactly. And maybe I'm, he can't. I don't know. Maybe he like maybe there's some sort of law or rule or something where if he did that, something bad would happen to him. And maybe there's a. And I'm just not smart enough to know that. And if that's the case, honestly, doesn't bother me as much. But like, as a human being, you never want to just come out and just straight up say that, right? Because it's you because you, you're kind of embarrassed by it. I'm sure he's a little embarrassed by it. Like, well, of course it doesn't. If you feel like I, Hey, I got, I have plenty of experience, life experience with this. Even when, like, even when you're not interested in sticking around with something and you still care about that person or that thing to a lot of people, that's hard. That's devastating to a lot of people. And like, I, uh, whatever. I, the, the whole thing of him not really talking to anybody while it happened and not communicating well with it. That's something that I understand from a human perspective, just because it, there's a lot of me in that, 
but also I, you know, I'm not, I don't get paid $10 million a year to be the head of university of Oklahoma football program. Um, and so I'm it's just you like said that real quick, the, the, the I'm fine. Cause that reminds me, maybe we talked about it last week too. The, the Spencer Rattler article, did we talk about that with where Austin Stogner was quoted as saying that he Riley didn't even never address the LSU rumors once. And so that's another piece of information that makes me think, okay, like if you're a college football coach and there's a bunch of rumors out there about you taking another job and you're not going to take that job, it's of course you'd be like, guys, like I know you're seeing this, like I'm not going anywhere. You just, you say it. If you don't address it, like he, like according to Austin Stogner, he didn't. And I've heard behind the scenes as well, that there's a lot of validity to what Austin Stogner said. That's also another smoking gun to me saying like, okay, this all didn't come about in 12 to 24 hours. There was, there was something going on. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot going. On. I mean, there's there's a lot of that stuff trickling out. I mean, of that of that flavor, the one that that bugs me the most is that there's a lot of former players who weren't super happy with the guy throughout his tenure at OU, and I desperately wish I would have known that <laughs> because I, I because if I knew that, it would have been a red flag to me instantly, 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 and I would have been much more Lincoln Riley skeptical. All right, well, we got to cut it off there. I have a hard out coming up here soon. Uh, enjoy the spring game, everyone going. Uh, I've, uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be live on television. I haven't done the research on that. I've heard that it might be streaming on, online, but tape delay. But, you know, what we say sometimes on this podcast, who cares? Go to the game if you can. If you can't, that's okay, too. Uh, hopefully, Mother Nature cooperates, and it's a fun Saturday. Uh, we'll do our best. To, uh, I, I don't know when our – maybe we'll try to record Sunday morning. I don't know. I get it out there quick we'll see uh but we'll have a podcast to recap the spring game at some point after the game is over with so uh until that podcast for grant i am lee this is west of everest if you enjoyed this episode make sure you subscribe to the show and if you want to help us spread the word please leave us a five-star review and also tell all of your friends who are ou fans about west of everest you can listen to this podcast on itunes spotify stitcher and soundcloud